James 1, verses 9 through 11. Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls, and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Beth, for reading the word this morning. Good morning again to you all. Um, Hope you'll just keep your Bible open to James chapter 1, or you can follow on your smartphone. Uh, We're in the series Keeping It Real, a study of the book of James. We're still in the first chapter after a number of Sundays. But I came across a website which is titled uh, 60 is the New 50. It's It's a website designed to mobilize people who are turning 60 and open them up to the possibilities of life yet to be lived. Uh, In fact, we hear that fairly often, don't we? 40 is the new 30, or I guess you can plug in the numbers. Uh, 30 is the new 20, or whatever it might be. Uh, I saw a news clip, uh, actually a couple weeks ago, of a woman who is 100 years old, and she's still curling. She's still curling, and she's active. She's getting down there, and she's throwing that rock. She's sweeping. She's just doing a great job. So maybe the 100 is the new 70. I'm not sure. But the text in front of us, uh, which is a, is a great text, it's, it's not one that I would necessarily choose to preach on, but since we're doing it systematically, I found it to be an awesome text. Uh, it made me think of this idea that poor is the new rich. And rich is the new poor. Do you remember the, the reality show Trading Spaces? Uh, it was on a f- number of years ago. And I guess, I guess it's on again. It's had a reboot, uh, people have been telling me. And uh, there were some in our family who loved to watch Trading Spaces. And in each episode, uh, two sets of neighbors redecorated uh, one room in each other's home. And uh, they, had, uh, they had a budget of about 1000 or maybe it bumped to $2,000. They had a couple days to, to do this. And they had the services of a designer. And the teams had no say over what happened in their own homes, but they were able to give input what was happening in the homes that they were decorating. And the teams uh, were not allowed to enter their own home for the duration of the show. And then the transformed rooms were kind of displayed and everybody was like, oh, wow, wow. Trading spaces. We have uh, trading spaces in the text before us today. Trading spaces. And the trading spaces are paradoxes. Do you know what a paradox is? It's it's a seemingly self-contradictory statement, but when you actually investigate it, it turns out that the statement can be true. It's like it isn't true, that can't be true, but in fact when it's explained, you see how it is true. Now James is really concerned about the people to whom he's writing, and he wants them to stand strong 
uh, amidst all the adversities that are, are coming their way. So he resorts to paradoxes to get his point across. He calls the poor rich. And he calls the rich poor. The rich poor and the poor rich. They're paradoxes. You remember that the people James is writing to are suffering. They've been forced out of their homeland. They're on the run. They're going through many troubles and many trials. And James is making the point in the first number of verses that if they cooperate with the troubles coming their way, they're going to develop the quality of endurance. And that's a good thing. And that's the thing that God's wanting to do in every one of our lives. And you never really think about that, but that's really what he wants to do in all of our lives. He wants to develop the quality of endurance. And so when we've come along well in the area of endurance, that begins to morph into uh, the development of our character and maturity. And we're molded into the people that God has designed for us to be. So there is a refining process that comes through all of our troubles <coughs> that is good. <coughs> not to say for a moment that the troubles are any fun. They're not. But the joy of which James speaks relates to how all of this draws us to the heart of God. I'm reminded as I say this uh, that when we first came to Edmonton many years ago to serve in a church that we met a lady that I had heard of before but I had never met her. And she had lost her husband about a year and a half prior to that. Her youngest son was about 13 and she asked me to take him to a hockey banquet which I gladly did so he would have a dad figure in his life. But as I got to know the mom I realized the challenge that she was going through because she was raising four boys and they were all teenagers. But her statement has always stayed in my heart. She said, Pastor Ken, my heavenly father has become my husband. My heavenly father has become my husband. I understood what she meant. I understood what she meant. And all these things that she used to talk over with her husband, she now began to talk over with her father in heaven. And she leaned upon him, and she had a beautiful relationship with him, such a sweet, sweet spirit. I could tell you, I always saw that beautiful spirit in her heart. And she had been with the father. She'd been with the father, and it was evident that in her trials, in her hurts, she went to her Abba father, and she told him what was going on in her life. So the first trial that James addresses is our financial state. The haves and the have-nots. One of the major areas in which we need the wisdom of God is in relationship to the things that we have, to our riches, to our resources, to our wealth. So follow with me. First of all, the trial of poverty. The trial of poverty. Poor is the new rich. Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. Poverty and wealth. This is not a first century problem. This is not even a first world problem. This is not even a third world problem. This is a world problem. It's 
This is a problem all over the world in every country. It's the issue of money. It's the issue of poverty. Some of you have lived this, where you've really had to ask the question, I wonder where the next dollar is coming from. How will I need our needs be met? And then, of course, there was a, the baseball player who not too long ago made a lamenting comment. He said, some of you think that all of us make three to four million dollars a year. Well, he said, it's not true. Many of us only make 500,000. Man, I was ready to go down to the UPS and send him a box of Kleenex. I'm so sorry. Can you imagine the poverty level of the people to whom James writes? James meets this issue head on by sharing practical advice both to those who are very poor and to those who are very rich. And he recognizes that riches may be a huge thing to the rich, but probably also to the poor. I mean, wouldn't things be different in our lives if we only had more money? <laughs> Don't we ask that? That's where we live today. Wouldn't things be different in our lives if we only had more money? I suppose they would be different. But better? But better? Not sure. Not necessarily. Not according to James. And I don't need to remind you of the neutrality of money itself. I mean, it's just paper, right? It's just paper, or it's just coins. It's just metal. But the prickly that we come up against is often the love of money. We saw that powerful video two or three weeks ago now, on slavery. Thanks to James for bringing that to us. Slavery is a $150 billion industry in the world. Wow. Human trafficking today, $150 billion industry. What is that all about? It's mainly about money. It's, it's, it's about power, but it's mainly about money. And it's the corruption of of the human heart. The love of money is what creates the angst in all of us. Sometimes it's true. It isn't the love of money. It's the absence of money to provide as we would like to. And I know that's very real too. A few years ago we walked the hills of Lima, Peru. On the outside perimeter, those hills, uh, you can't really see the hill part of it now, but you can see some of the homes. Those are actually good-looking houses compared to some that are on the mountains surrounding Lima, Peru. It, it is, uh, I have never seen such poverty in my life. Those who are poor and who live in these shacks are actually afraid to leave their little place because of the neighbor next door who will come in and steal what they already, what little that they have already. Poverty is awful, but James is trying to teach us something, that believers who are poor have something to boast about because God has honored them. That's what James says, that God has honored them. Uh, this, is, this is the big picture stuff. Life isn't about getting through without troubles. And life isn't about getting through with a maximum stockpile of wealth. Life is about getting through with a relationship with God that is close and intimate and connected Abiding, John 15, is, is real. It's about having a heart that is dependent upon God, upon 
trusting God, about being broken before him. And that's the advantage of the poor very often. You are in a place of dependency. You, by nature of your circumstances, are actually in that place. Oh, God, what next? How has God honored the poor? Well, look at the position we have in Christ. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus. So God can point to us in all future ages as examples of what? The incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. If we follow Christ, we are raised up and we have this incredible wealth. We have the riches of God's grace and kindness. It's been poured out in abundance upon us. Poor monetarily, yes, but oh, so rich in Christ and in the riches of his grace. So believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. Now, just to be clear, James is referring to poverty-stricken Jewish Christians. And the reason they're poor was because of their faith. And because they were economically low, they were low in the eyes of the world. And very, very sure that they were, they were low in their own eyes. And this poverty produced a lowliness of mind. Poverty may cause us to say, I guess I'm not very valuable. I don't count. I mean, look at what they've got. Look at what we've got. There's just no comparison. But James wants to say, you do count. And you are valued. And you are part of God's family. And you're part of God's children. Begin to look with eternal eyes. Paul says, and since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we share his glory, we must also share his suffering. The Lord is the great equalizer. We're all fellow heirs with Christ, none being more or less important than the others. The world may not notice you. But friend, if you're a child of God, he adores you. The world may not know your name, but God has your name written down in the book. The world may say, we're just a nobody, but God says that we're a somebody in him. And that's why we can boast. It's because of our identity in Jesus Christ. And it's boasting in the best sense of the word, not look at me, but look at what God has done. He has exalted the poor. We are rejoicing in the sense that our lowly estate is temporary. God has invited us to the riches of his kingdom. So here's that truth again, simply put. Why can the poor man or the poor woman boast? Why are they lifted up? Why are they exalted? It is not simply that he or she is economically poor, but that he or her poverty has produced a lowliness of spirit that keeps our hearts open to God. Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, 
for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So poverty can be an advantage over wealth if it shows a person his or her need for God and if that person responds with an all-out trust for God. I know, and I had to argue with myself as I was putting this together. What good is it to tell a poor person to glory in their spiritual riches in Christ? I mean, they're still barely eking out an existence. They still wear ragged clothes. They still eat whatever without much protein. They still don't have access to medicine and to education. I mean, what good are spiritual riches if you're desperate? And then I reminded myself of how I often think. I think from a materialistic mindset. And I ignore the fact that the basic need of every human heart is spiritual, not material. For James, he was sending a great reminder to suffering followers of Christ that their poverty has has some amazing results, a rich and deep, meaningful relationship with God because they humbly knelt before the Father and said, Father, we so need you. We so need you. We trust our lives to you. And in that confession, there's such intimacy. And in that, there is a joy for today and the hope of a bright future. Johnny, Johnny Erickson, you remember? Remember Johnny? Young woman, I don't know, she was in her teen years when she dove off a pier and uh, she broke her neck and she spent all of her life in a wheelchair. She wrote a little book, a booklet called Hope, the Best of Things. And she says, I sure hope I can bring this wheelchair to heaven. Now, she said, I know that's not theologically correct, but I hope to bring it and put it in a little corner of heaven, and then in my new, perfect, glorified body, standing on grateful, glorified legs, I'll stand next to my Savior, holding his nail-pierced hands. And I'll say, thank you, Jesus. And he will know that I mean it, because he knows me. He'll recognize me from the fellowship we're now suffering, in his, uh, that we're now sharing in his sufferings. And I will say, Jesus... Do you see that wheelchair? You were right when you said that in the world we would have trouble because that thing is a lot of trouble. But the weaker I was in that thing, the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. It would never have happened had you not given me the bruising of the blessing of that wheelchair. And then she writes, Then the real ticker tape parade of praise will begin and all of earth will join in the party and at that time Christ will open up our eyes to the great fountain of joy in his heart for us beyond all that we've ever experienced on earth and when we're finally able to stop laughing and crying the Lord Jesus really will wipe away all of our tears and then I loved her last line I find it so poignant that finally at the point when I do have the use of my arms to wipe away my own tears, I won't have to because God will. Oh my. The rich poor. The paradox of being poor yet rich. 
Having said that, I also believe in the responsibility to care for the poor. At least three weeks ago, we shared that, that video on slavery. Wow, it was touching. We don't abandon the world. We don't stop fighting for the persecuted church and the homeless and the poor because God has a heart for the poor. And we cooperate with God in uh, coming alongside of those who have great needs and we bless them and we cheer them and, and we, we pray for them. I was, uh, we're memorizing scripture and, and this one is coming up on my radar. I thought, Lord, how fitting this is. Pure and genuine religion in the sight of God the Father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. James 1.27. I, li I like the old southern saying, if you find a turtle on a fence post, you know it didn't get there by itself. It didn't get there by itself. Somebody put it there. We're all needed. We're all needed. Sometimes we're overwhelmed by the poverty and need of the world, and we can't do it all. But we're needed, and God calls us to be lifters in the world, lifters for the refugees and the children and the poor and, and, and those that are caught in the, the slavery of, of today and the rejected and the persecuted. And I mean, that's our role. That's our role. So we listen to the heart of James, and he reminds us of the trial of poverty, that poor is the no rich. But secondly, he also reminds us of the trial of prosperity, that rich is the new poor. And, and it says those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. That's how they should boast, that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. I mean, who would ever think of the rich as being underprivileged? The rich or the new poor. The rich can actually be poor. That's what he was driving at in Mark chapter 10, 17, when this rich young guy comes to him and he asks the, the best question. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, any other response, but not the one you gave. Jesus gave a piercing reply. The rich man was flabbergasted. He couldn't recover. He went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. He was loaded. What did Jesus say to him? He told him, go sell all you have, give to the poor, and come and follow me. Jesus knew the struggle in his heart. Do I follow my wealth or do I follow the Lord? Because I can't give my heart to both. He couldn't choose Jesus. His riches were whispering to him, oh, no, 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 don't walk away from the good times. Look what you got. You'll never have this again. You better keep it. He was rich, but so poor. Rich is the new poor. That's where we get this famous statement from, from Jesus. Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Oh, and I didn't mention it, but there is debate in the passage about... Uh, about the rich, are they believers? Are they the outside society in which James is writing to? And that's the context. Uh, I've, I've simply concluded that they are believers, that they are believers because 
There's a bit of a theme. This is a bit of a theme through the whole book of James. So I believe there, there were a few rich Christians, a, a minority that had not suffered the loss of jobs and money, and they had the same problem that many of us do who live in the West. We have a lot, and our need for God is put on the lower shelf because we're just fine. We're just fine. And we don't realize how poor we are. In the book of Revelation, these words are thunderous. For you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. That's the church in Laodicea. So, wow, Jesus views our riches as a potential danger to the growth of our spiritual lives. Our riches are more a spiritual liability than an asset. In what way? Well, it, it's easy to think we can make it. We don't need God, or we need Him just a little bit. Because we can manage somehow. We, we've got just about everything we need. So thank you very much, but I, I don't really need to go too far in this journey with God. Lee Atwater was the campaign manager for George Bush in the 1988 presidential campaign. And uh, this man was a great success by the standards of the world. But after he was diagnosed with cancer of the brain, he began to reflect upon his life. This is what he said. He said the 80s were about acquiring uh, wealth and power and prestige. He said, I know. I acquired more wealth and power and prestige than most people. But you can acquire all you want and still feel empty. And today, what power wouldn't I trade for a little more time with my family? And what price wouldn't I pay for an evening with my friends? It took a deadly illness to put me eye to eye with the truth. But it's a truth that the country, caught up in its ruthless ambitions and moral decay, can learn on my dime. I don't know who will lead us into the 90s, but they must be made to speak to the spiritual vacuum at the heart of the American society, this tumor of the soul. He died in 1991. Who did lead through the 90s? The first 18 years of 2000. There seems to me a spiritual vacuum as much as ever the tumor of the soul. So is it possible to be rich and be a vibrant Christian? Oh, yes, it is. But it's hard. And it's only because of the rich poor. It's only because even though the Lord has blessed us with wealth and possessions that we understand that we, we don't own them. They don't drive us and become our God. They, they are just things. And in a moment, God could call them. He could call any one of those things on us. They're just things. But in the journey, we are, we are stewards, we are humble, we are dependent stewards in the kingdom. That takes great maturity. To have wealth which we all do, and yet let it not control us. 
We use it for the Lord's work. We are faithful in our giving to be to the Lord as evidence that we are humbly dependent on Him. We just don't calculate 10%. Let me see you get this right. That would be about $259.10 uh, per week. Let's multiply that times four. No, no. And, and think that somehow that's my deal. But it's an awareness that it all belongs to Him. And I give according to how I've been blessed. I give because it's all His anyway. And I'm not trying to hold on and keep as much as I possibly can. But how do you ever get to that point? It's being humbled and understanding our great need before the Lord. Those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The, the little flower droops and falls and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. I hope you get where I'm coming from this morning. Because we all have a problem here. Many of us are rich. Yeah, you say, not me. You should check my bank account. I live pretty close to the line. I know. Many, many do. But look at what we have here. Nice place. We rent a nice place. We own a nice place. We have a car to drive. We have toys. and We have kids in one activity after another. and It's all good. It's all good. But I have to be careful that I just don't token need God. Just token need Him. Because I have a lot compared to those folks in Lima, Peru, or Indonesia who faced an earthquake and a tsunami and then a volcano and then this few days ago a mudslide in another island in Indonesia. That takes extra intentionality on our part to assess our situations and say, but oh God, I really need you. Thank you for your provisions, but I need you. I need you stirring in my heart. I'm only blessed to be a blessing. This is not mine. This is yours. And when you hand it back to him, you become the rich, poor, even though you have much. Even though you have much. Some say, may say, as a Christian, you uh, are a child of the king, so you should be rich. <clears throat> You're a child of the king. No, not at all. God is more interested in shaping us into his image during our classroom time on this earth. He takes us through the troubles and he takes us through the trials for a reason. God allows us to go through the storm. There's a new parenting category. You've heard of helicopter parents. Well, now there's a term called uh, lawnmower parents. <laughs> Interesting, all the terms. Uh, what does a lawnmower parent do? They mow down all of a child's challenges, discomforts, and struggles. They mow them down so that the child doesn't have to struggle. And the, 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 the idea has taken on recently uh, due to a viral post from an online community for teachers that said, among other things, in raising children who have experienced minimal struggle, we are now creating... Uh, we are not creating a happier generation of kids. We are creating a generation that has no idea what to do when they actually encounter struggle. 
And so the teacher author of this article shared a story of being called to the office expecting to retrieve a student's forgotten meal money or inhaler. Instead, a sheepish parent in a suit was dropping off an expensive water bottle after repeated texts from a child. Get me a water bottle. Water fountains exist all over the school. And he said, now that's actually tame. Let me tell you some of the stories. Well, the paradoxes of, of verses 9 to 11. The trial of poverty. Poor is the new rich. Uh, the trial of prosperity. Rich is the new poor. What's James saying? Well, God meets us in our adversity. And that's where we're going to begin next Sunday. Pastor Quinn's going to start us off in verse 12. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. God blesses us because he is interested in forming people who walk humbly and dependently with him, the rich poor and the poor rich. All have the same journey to walk humbly and dependently with God. No doubt you've thought of your situation throughout this sermon. No doubt you've thought about what you're facing. And, and can you say, as you engage your reality... Father, my situation may not have changed, but I want you to know that I am weak, that I am needy, that I am dependent, and I place my hands in the hands of one who is strong and who is all-sufficient and who is dependable, regardless of my bank account. So I said to myself, Ken, what does this do for you? Well, here's what the passage reminds me to think about and try to live out Number one, the need to have a humble, dependent heart, whether poor or rich, monetarily. To have a humble, dependent heart. Secondly, the struggle of both the rich and the poor, especially the rich, to, be, to authentically depend upon God. To authentically depend upon God. We know the words, but because we're so well taken care of, it takes great intentionality to know our poverty in Christ and our humble reliance upon Him. And then third, God calls us who have been blessed to be a blessing to those who do not have like we do. Reach out a hand to someone in need, whether here at home or around the world. What is God calling you to do? What is God laying upon your heart? Where can you make a little difference it, you, you can't change the world, but you can make a little difference where you live. Let's stand together as we pray. Father, I thank you for these few rather obscure verses, but they give us perspective. And Father, as the years roll by, all too quickly, we have to ask ourselves what's important. How do you want me to live here in Edmonton? Do I have resources, but still I'm very poor? Am I going my own way? Am I doing my own thing? Help us to listen to you and to hear you. I'm just going to ask you to take a, a, a quiet moment and just say, just ask the Lord, what does it mean for me?
What does it mean for me? Oh, Father, give us the wisdom that we need to walk with you in Jesus' name.